Hello there, I'm LL Coolbrap and welcome to Prompted, the official podcast for the writing prompt section of reddit.com where you are prompted to write stories. And here we showcase the best of them, all with the goal of helping each other to become better writers. Well, hello there. Welcome to the writing prompt script. Who am I? Well, I am the crypt keeper. You do not need to know my name. You could never pronounce it anyway. In this script, I watch over all the spooky and creepy stories submitted to the subreddit. I have a special treat for you all today. Five stories for your ears only. Follow me, if you dare. <laughs> no, you have to follow me. Ah, here we are. The section belonging to Katie Dead. Pay attention, we shall be returning here later. There are so many options to choose from. I think we'll start with... This one, posted by Winsome Jesse, the story was written by Kin Psychosis. That's a fantastic name. During a blackout, you light a candle only to discover there's a spirit living in the candle's flame. The spirit is quite charming and offers sage advice, but they're very evasive when asked how they got trapped in the candle. They also really want you to build them a bigger fire. The flame of the candle flickered as it always did. I placed my chin on my stacked palms, the golden glow of the candle's flame painting my face orange within my otherwise dark hut. Come on, little guy, I said taking a finger and lightly prodding the base of the candlestick. The shifting flame flickered its light in response. Nothing, huh? I was about to give up as I raised my head from the wooden table. Suddenly the flame shifted from its orange hue to a brighter gold. I returned my gaze and watched the flicker more adamant, alive, vigil. Hello, little spirit. I thought you weren't coming today. My tone humored as I lowered my gaze, staring eye to eye at the constantly shifting form of the flame, attempting to gain solid form before collapsing into its little teardrop of ember. Please, Jonathan, have I ever skipped out on meeting you? The voice from the flame, a flickering mesh of alternating voices, jumbled into one and just as amorphous as its body. I suppose you haven't. I replied with a humored smile, the light of the flame dancing across my face with as much enthusiasm as a livid source. Jonathan, I am sure you have noticed how little is left of the wax. My smile faded as soon as it came, a worry welling inside of me at the thought of the extinguished fire, the surrounding darkness rushing in to take its place. I need your help. I need a fire. A great fire, in fact. And that will save you? 
I asked. Yes, it will revitalize me. The fuel flame will be my own fuel. The spirit must have noticed my worry, a hesitant flicker betraying it. Jonathan, I wish to live, and I wish to still be there for you. I nodded. Tell me what I need to do. In the middle of the night, I carried the ring of the candle holder out into the darkness, my hand coveting the glow of the flame, protecting it from being extinguished. Now, the spirit said, its voice almost a whisper, yet as clear as day. I tossed the candle into the pile of hay before me, watching the flames find immediate purchase. Like scalding whips, they consumed it all, conquering more and more in its burning expenditure. The flames licked the roof with ravenous intent, the glow turning ever more fierce and unbridled. I could hear the screams, the cries of help and claims of fire. I watched as the town burnt, the dancing flames rising from the houses attempting to burn the stars of the sky. I stared with disinterest at the rising sparks, the spreading flames claiming one house after another, a certain serenity to the pure cleansing. I lifted myself from the mound of the hill, dusting off my trousers and walking towards the remnants of the charred remains. Darker than the night sky, and the shadows that plagued the forced trees. A structure to my left, left brittle, collapsed in a heat of crunches and upheaved dust. Within the town square, there it was, another candle, the only light which challenged the surrounding darkness. The flame flickered with rejuvenated vitality, and an ensemble of voices spoke as one in unison. Thank you, Jonathan. Katie bringing the fire, as always. Ha 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 ha. You'll have to excuse me, I'm not used to the company. Moving on. Ah, here we are. Home to B-Cat's stories. This one was posted by Consta135. The story posted by Yag. One by one, someone or something has been murdering the voices in your head. This story contains some bad language. The kid was the one who woke me up. I could hear her slowly emerging from the static. Why did you lose him? Something sounded strange about the kid. Her voice, once buttery and sweet, had become timid and frail. It sounded like she had a cold. I pulled the blankets up higher and shut my eyes tighter. Why did he go? I didn't move. Molly! Where is he? In exasperation, I slid the blanket off of me, 
With my eyes halfway closed, I slowly sat up in bed and pressed my temples. My room was dark and still. The stale air inside lingered like an old withered sigh. Lines of shadow climbed from ceiling to floor, caressing the bedpost and dresser drawers as it moved up the closet door. The branches outside shook from a sudden chill. It felt like the world was waiting. He's gone! Shh, I whispered. I knew I wasn't shushing anything, but sometimes it helped. The kid usually just wanted attention, and when she got it, she went away. I hadn't really minded her before, but these days, I had gotten irritated when she spoke to me. Maybe I was getting too old for her. I want to know where he is. Who? Mom and Dad kept telling me not to talk back. The crying man. I opened my eyes. Another voice clawed its way out of the static. It was clear and masculine, like a car salesman. God, stupid, you moron. This one was Scott. He was never the first one to speak up, but when he smelled a dog pile, he couldn't help but join. Where's the crying man, you idiot? What did you do? I didn't do anything. Liar! You're a liar! That's why Mommy doesn't love you! That's why Daddy hates you! He hates you! Scott's voice trembled under its own weight, spilling hatred like a pot of boiling water spitting down its sides. The stale air began to thicken making it harder to breathe. The kid spoke again. Did you kill him? No, I didn't. I tried to keep myself from talking back. Uh, please don't say that. Idiot! Tell the truth! We all know you're lying! You killed the crying man! No, I would never kill someone. Well, can you make him come back? The kid was on the verge of tears. I don't know where he went. But I didn't do anything, I promise. Do you mean it? Yes, I really mean it. You liar! Scott's voice bellowed, raising the hairs down the back of my neck. I could almost feel him tear his hair out in unmitigated rage. In my head, his face was splitting into shreds, barely containing the ferocity that threatened to eat him alive. I know what you did. I saw you kill him. You killed the crying man this morning, and now you will kill us like you killed him. You rotten, ugly bitch. You're a murderer. That's why no one loves you, and they all hate you. I will hate you forever. I- Scott's voice was suddenly submerged in static. His fury scorched in silence, then broke the surface again. Family will never love you. I will kill you. I'll kill you tonight. The kid began to sob. You're going to hell, Molly! You- His voice fell back into the static. Between the kid's tearful moans, I could still hear him scream. But he screamed from somewhere far away. My heart was pounding. Slowly, his voice drifted further and further until it disappeared. The air began to thin as pressure fled the room. Scott was gone. Soon, the kid had diminished into quiet sniffles. Am I going to die, too? asked the kid. I don't know. My eyes began to burn. I dropped my head into my hands. I don't know. I don't know. The branches outside shook harder against a fresh wind. Was I bad? No, you were never bad. You've always been good. 
I'm sorry, Molly. I didn't mean to do anything wrong. I'm so sorry. It was the sound of a child pleading for her life in the only terms she knew. You're a very good girl, I choked. Tears had begun to streak my face. You're a good girl, and I love you. Once again, the static began to fill the empty spaces. I heard the kid cry out for Molly, or had it been Mommy? It was hard to hear her voice, now sinking deeper into the void. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love you. I didn't mean to be bad. I love my Mommy, I love you, Molly. I buried my face into my pillow, voice raised in anguish, shaking my bed frame. I couldn't bear to hear her voice anymore. I love you, I... And then, after a few final moments of struggle, she had disappeared. The kid was gone. Not just gone, she was dead. Dead like Scott and the crying man. I was alone. It was raining when I woke up. The sound of rain licking the branches on the side of my window was like an eternal drum roll, marching eternally, devoid of thought. Molly? My eyes burst open. For a moment I thought I was living in a dream. Then reality came flooding in. Mom knocked on my door and opened it. Time to get up, babe, she said as she sat next to me in bed and handed me a glass of water and a pill. Is everything okay? It's quiet, I said. Our next stop, El El Coolbrep. Hmm, let's see. Ah, yes, there we are. Posted by Tarantula McGuffin, with not your cure posting the story. You're a demon haunting an old home that's been abandoned for years. Finally, a person purchases the home. And as soon as he enters, the first thing he says is, Now, demon, you're stuck in here with me, in a very hostile tone. As far as jobs go, haunting the Walton house was pretty shitty, but apparently it's always going to be your responsibility, since you did kind of sort of influenced Mary Walton to murder her parents and her older brother. Okay, so you incessantly nagged her until she caved and did it. You liked Mary Walton. That's why the parents and the brother had to go. They were complete shitheads. No respect. Absolutely none for the poor girl. She was 23 and still living under their thumb. It was pathetic. Mary was your favourite vessel by far, because you fit her like a glove. You're not sure why. You have some faint memories of once being someone, a woman, and maybe that's why. But you doubt it was just because of her sex. Maybe you saw something of yourself in her, whatever scrap of human was left, maybe it was something like her. But you were human long ago. 
and whatever you experienced then was burned out of you when you made your deal. You probably weren't a very good person. Good people usually don't have to make deals. Why serve in heaven when you could reign in hell? Sounds nice, but it's more complicated than that. There are hierarchies and rules, and in reality, the Iceman does very little. He'd rather leave it to a thousand scrabbling, bickering underlings, all plotting and scheming and entertaining thoughts of a second war with the guys in the sky. You were all for it when you first started out. It sounded good. You were going to burn down those pearly gates and shove Michael's sword up his own. <clears throat> you were an idiot. Here you are, nose to the brimstone, serving. Mary Walton is probably going to hell for what she did, but you figure you can put in a good word for her when she gets there. Get her a nice position so she's not one of the grinders, screaming and sobbing down in the pits. She doesn't deserve that. So now there's this guy. Well, great. You haven't had a good tussle since the 70s, and that priest was very overweight. This one's young, but the pomp and circumstance rings true. No collar, though, besides that of his flannel shirt as he takes off his jacket. He looks like a lumberjack, you think idly, as the lights pop and fizzle, shadowing the entryway. Come out, he says casually. I want to talk, demon. He doesn't even have a clue what your name is, or he'd already use it. You can see the edges of his mind like a fraying quilt. You tug at a thread, comb through it hurriedly, searching. And when you step forward, you are his mother. Long brown hair and green eyes and gentle smile. I've missed you, you croon extending a soft hand towards his face. He clamps down on your cold wrist and a heat-like brand travels up your arm. You hiss in pain and tear your arm away, flickering in annoyance and solidify into a more neutral form you glimpsed. A friend from high school, died of cancer. She must have been a bit of a rocker, you have a lot of piercings now. What do you want, David? You ask bluntly in her rasping voice, fumbling with a pack of cigarettes she always carried around with her. Sasha quit smoking after we graduated, he informs you. Well, maybe it's time she started again, you retort, and regard him carefully. He has nothing on him that could hurt you but his touch. You haven't felt that much heat in such a long time. There's a fading imprint on your tattooed wrist. I want a deal, he says. Don't have to be so hostile if that's all you wanted. You rummage around for a pen. Are you a fraster? What? You know, half and half. Your mom hook up with one of the princes? Asmodeus, maybe? Rosier? But usually the women don't survive the birth. And you remember her pretty well. You look at him a little suspiciously. I'm completely human, he finally replies, stiffly. You arch an eyebrow, slam the paper and pen down in front of you. Guessing this is a binding one. Hence the, you're stuck in here with me. 
What have you got planned for this place that you need help with anyhow? Cause you know I can't leave with you. A school? He says, signing his name with a flourish. A school? You choke back a laugh, signing your own. For who? Murderers in training? Even better. He picks up the paper as it shrivels away to ash in his hand. Nephilim? Sasha is gone, replaced by you. And you are terrible. Because you didn't sign under Berith, chief secretary and archivist, prince of blasphemy and murder, alchemist and seer, never shuts the heck up lord of hell, to look like some frail, blood-soaked waif in a nightgown. Your teeth are very sharp, and your eyeliner is on point. You've just made a massive mistake, you snarl spittle coiling between your lips. He shrugs. You did agree. You would have agreed to help him renovate the place into a monastery, you were so bored. But the two of you are not alone. You can hear Barrett's outraged murmurs under your skin, so you keep up the facade. That poor man. Didn't his mother ever tell him? You never mess with Berith. Ah, a new section. I love it when we get a new section. This one belongs to... Cheese rocks. Yes. Yes it does. Cheese does rock. First story is Bacony Draco's response to the Ryman's prompt. When you die, your ghost remains in the world until the last person who remembers you also dies. 15,000 years after your death, you are still here. Fifteen thousand years. Fifteen thousand mind-numbing years of waiting. It was exciting to Adam at first, the knowledge that life didn't just end with death, that he got to stick around and observe humanity. It suited him well, he'd always been a quiet fellow, and since he was just a ghost, no one gave him a hard time for being a wallflower anymore. He could just sit and people watch and enjoy himself, and that's exactly what he did for a while. The first ten years were the best of his life or afterlife. No responsibilities, no bills, no obligations, no attachments, just traveling the world and observing to his heart's content. All of his hobbies, bird watching, fine art, reading rare books, he now actually had time to do. He saw sunrise on the rim of the Grand Canyon more times than he could count. He took afternoon siestas atop the Eiffel Tower whenever he wanted. It was exhilarating, and it was perfect. The next 90 years calmed down a bit, but were still wonderful. He got into a nice routine, checking in on people he knew, seeing and learning new things. It was all he ever wanted in life, just without the living part. He saw people come and go, first from life to ghosts like him, and then sometime later from ghosts to the great beyond. He felt pity for those poor souls who just got a few years of afterlife and then were forgotten. The next 900 years were solid. 900 years of observing human progress and he got to see all of it. At some point he started to wonder who exactly was still remembering him. 
but he wasn't exactly complaining. He saw new forms of art, music writing, he accompanied the third Martian expedition and got to see a whole new planet. By the end of the millennium, Adam reckoned he'd seen more of what humanity had accomplished than just about anyone. He felt like a god. People came and went, but Adam just was. With each passing millennium, things got a bit duller. The sun didn't shine quite the way it used to, it seemed. Humanity found new and terrible ways to kill each other. By his fifth millennium, he was bored. By his tenth millennium, he was depressed. By his fifteenth millennium, he was just exhausted. He was thankful for his extended time, but he just wanted to be finished, and try as he might, had no idea who still remembered him. And then it happened. The sun went supernova and extinguished all life on Earth. The good people of Mars died just a few days later. With just almost all of humanity dying, most every ghost passed on as well. It was just Adam and a thousand other ghosts left who realized that the last remaining crew of humans were the crew of six who had left for Europa. After realizing what happened, the ghosts formed an astral caravan and traveled to Europa. They all desperately wanted to keep the crew alive and humanity with it, and Adam tagged along with them. He didn't say anything, but he knew if they died, his ennui would finally be over. They got to Europa and found the six of them, nearly freezing to death and on their last fuel cell. Then two of them died, and a cadre of ghosts vanished. Then another the next week, and another the week after, and the last vestiges of humanity were two humans, Adam, and a few hundred ghosts. Those last two explorers gave each other a dejected look. They resignedly opened the cyanide capsule in their craft. There was a wail of grief among ghost kind, but there was nothing to be done. As they took the pill, Adam was at peace, finally ready to enter the great beyond. He closed his eyes and... Nothing. The last two died, turned into ghosts, and then they and all the other ghosts disappeared. It was just Adam stuck on a godforsaken rock. He collapsed into a heap of anguish, inconsolable and at a loss for why he was still here. Suddenly, a porter of light opened. Well, this is odd. I swear we unit tested everything. You really shouldn't still be here, said what appeared to be a bespectacled angel thumbing through a small console. Who are you? Why am I here? Just end my suffering, please, Adam replied in a mixture of confusion, despair, and rage. Oh wow, I see what happened. A good old self-referential pointer exception. Wouldn't have expected that in such a sociable species like you anthropods. The angel's gleeful excitement and discovery only made Adam more upset. He wanted answers, and he wanted them now. So as slowly and deliberately as he could, Adam asked, Humanity is dead. Why am I here? Who remembers me? The angel looked up from his console and square at Adam and answered, Look, I don't know how to tell you this. We just never anticipated this edge case. See, when people die, we create an index of all the people that remember them, and then add and remove from it as people forget or learn or die. Once that list is empty, poof, great beyond. We've just never encountered what happened with you. When you died, your list was empty, and so the compiler filled it with the only person who ever remembered you. You. I hope we'll return to his section again soon. But for now, we're heading back to experience the spirit of Katie 
tell Regula et Vita's response to Kafafel's prompt. Usually horrors take place in dark, isolated areas in the middle of nowhere. Write a horror story that takes place in the middle of a busy area, in broad daylight. Ooh, sounds very spooky. He awoke with a start. His throat was dry and raw, and his lips were chapped. Even knowing it was a bad idea, he went to lick them. Momentary comfort would have to suffice. His brain sent down the instructions, but his lips refused to move. He went to grunt, but his throat was in too poor a state to emit more than a hoarse, heavily muffled hum. He could breathe only through his nose, he noticed. His arms and legs, too, refused to budge. It suddenly dawned on him that he was completely immobilized. Although he was still standing upright, even his eyes seemed almost rooted in place. Although he wasn't exactly sure where he was or how he had gotten there, he could tell, with meager help from his peripheral vision, that he was in some kind of workshop or studio. Various crafting supplies, tools, paints, and paintings were hung along the walls. How have I ended up here? He wondered to himself. How have I ended up, period? He had the vague impression that he had been out on the town, in and out of the shops and cafes, but he couldn't for the life of him recall what could have landed him in his current predicament. Somewhere in his head stewed the knowledge that his memory would continue to fail him. Somewhere else, the knowledge that his ongoing curiosity was the sole remaining buffer between his lucid mind and the paralyzing panic beginning to simmer in the pit of his stomach. He may have begun hyperventilating if he had the freedom of movement even to completely fill his lungs. He strained to blink and moisten his eyes as the room slowly became a mosaic of colorful splotches. Bad enough I can barely look around without going blind too, he would have said to no one if he had been able to speak. His saliva grew increasingly viscous as it built up in the back of his throat, and he silently prayed he wouldn't gag on it. He tensed his muscles, trying to extend himself in all directions in hope of freeing himself from whatever bindings he had been placed in. Been placed in. The levee ruptured, and he was deeply afraid. Someone had done this to him. He had known before, but now he knew. And, in coincidence with this realization, a door swung open to his left, creaking lightly and admitting soft, steady footsteps. It was true that speaking of the devil invited his presence. Well, merely thinking of him bore no less sinister fruit. Hello there, said the voice to his left. It was a low alto, a man. His voice had an aristocratic air to it, the voice of someone very sure of himself and comfortable in any situation. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting for so long. 
but an unanticipated influx of customers drew my attention. The words came smoothly, politely. When the man stepped into his captive's point of view, he could plainly see that his style matched his voice. He was dressed like an aristocrat. There was no doubting that. He was attired in a navy suit that gave off an elegant sheen, shoes the color of dark chocolate, and an expensive-looking gold watch. His attention to detail went to his finely trimmed beard and to the hair atop his head, which looked to contain a painstakingly precise amount of product. What the hell did you do to me? came the question to the captive's lips and no further. He could not even manage to contort his face in anger, so he settled for staring vacantly into the eyes of his captor. Let me just congratulate you again on your stunning figure, sir. When you came in to purchase a suit from us, I could tell from first glance that you would be a perfect model. Taking your measurements was really just a formality. Measurements? He began to remember. One of his last planned stops was at one of the new high-end menswear outlets. A place called Gents or something like that. He had always been fashion conscious, eager to be on the cutting end of a trend. So were most of the city's upper class. He had come in expecting to walk out with a new three-piece. He had said as much while he was being measured. And the proprietor, the son of a bitch now standing in front of him, had been very excited to put you into one, he had said. He gulped. The sticky, congealed spit did not go pleasantly down. But he had no choice other than to bear it with an internal grimace. If he had any room to spare, he would have been trembling. You know, the proprietor said, beginning to pace, brow furrowed in thought. Good models are very hard to find these days. The proportions are almost never right, and manufactured mannequins are a joke. It makes more sense when a good model falls into your lap to do everything in your power to preserve its beauty and grace. Don't you agree? He looked over, smiling with faint deviousness. His mind was as completely arrested as his body, and his dread only increased as he tried and failed to make any sense of the situation. No response. None at all? A puzzled expression played across his face then gave way to a look of inspiration. Oh, of course, he said with too much enthusiasm. Nothing to say because you haven't seen the finished product. I'll get the mirror, he finished and disappeared off to the right, out of view. His heart was pounding, threatening to burst. He could sense his body dying to sweat and felt a shiver work its way down to the very marrow in his bones. It was like no terror he had ever experienced. Fight or flight equally denied him, and he was doomed to wait and to witness 
and witness he did. Beaming, the proprietor wheeled the mirror in front of his captive, and his pupils became saucers. He tried his hardest to jerk and thrash, to topple himself over, to force himself in all directions, to scream and cry. Instead, there was little more than silence. Silence and stillness. Please, sir, don't try to fight. You will find that you are unable to break free, and you will overexert yourself. Even if you could escape, I doubt you would like the results. The innermost layer is composed largely of fiberglass, and it has a terribly unpleasant effect on skin when it splinters. Besides, how could you live with yourself after destroying such a precious work of art? In the mirror, he had seen an ornate mannequin, cast in a stylish, masculine pose, and attired in a posh three-piece suit, black with a white shirt, a bright, solid gold tie, and a slightly darker herringbone handkerchief, peeking out from the breast pocket. Poking out of the two sockets, he had seen his own eyes, bloodshot, horrified, tears streaming, staring back at him. I understand why you might be worried, though. How will I eat? How will I drink? How will I use the restroom? You must be asking yourself these questions if you have not already done so. Do not fret. For me, this is a labor of love, and I will see to everything personally. We will become very good friends, you and I. I'm sure of it. His proud grin suddenly became a thin, tight-lipped smile. I dare say I will be the last friend you'll ever have. He turned and walked off, leaving the mirror in its place. He picked up a cloth and a bottle of liquid from the table and approached his captive once more. Take heart. You'll be a wonderful addition. Men and women alike will admire you, gawk at you, as they have at all of my models. He poured liquid liberally onto the cloth. You will be an icon of style for the rest of your days. This is what you came into my store to accomplish, is it not? He drew close, admiring his work. Well, I think I have talked away more than enough of your time. You should rest. I imagine you will need your strength. He pressed the cloth over the mannequin's nose. The poor excuses for sobs it had been letting out began to fade into nothing. Pleasant dreams. The streets were bustling with well-dressed young men and women. Fitted suits, ornate dresses, and expensive jewelry flowed to and fro in an opulent current. The latest trends could be seen in various windows, and pedestrians stopping to oogle at what they were either unable to afford or determined to have for themselves. 
one couple stopped to look at a particularly dashing display. Right up front stood a mannequin in a fine black suit. He was further outfitted in a crisp white shirt, a gold tie, and a patterned handkerchief. He was wearing dark sunglasses, staring off into the distance with a kind of apparent disinterest that passed in the avant-garde circles for cool. This is a darling little shop, isn't it? asked the woman entreatingly. He took another look at the display and peered behind it into the shop. I suppose it's worth a look, he said, taking her hand and going inside. These fantastic tales you've experienced today can be found in the show notes and on the subreddit, prompted.reddit.com. A big thank you to all the writers involved today. And in a new piece of news, the Writing Prompts subreddit now has a Discord server. This can be used for voice and text chat with other members of the Writing Prompts community. A link can be found in the show notes and on the subreddit. Feel free to drop by and join us. But for now, I believe I have tolerated the presence of you mortals for as long as I can stomach. Be gone from this place before I am stuck with you forever! Mwahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahah